From the studios of Teeing It Up, Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents. Danny Flecker joining us to talk about everything happening in the world of sports. Good afternoon, Danny, on this December 31st. Uh, good afternoon. Not sure if you saw this story, uh, but the NFL PA president, uh, Brown Center J.C. Treader, um, put in a newsletter released today that he would like to see the end of mini camps and OTAs. Quote, we are the only major sports league with an off-season program. The most physically demanding sport is the only league that brings players back for extra practices outside of the season. The argument in favor of these off-season practices is based on the assumption that players need reps during OTAs to develop and learn, while teams need to practice to gel. Yet the lack of OTAs this year demonstrated that these theories are not substantiated. New and first-year coaches had success. Newly assembled teams had success. Rookies stepped in and played at a high level all across the league. We do not need to be brought in during April to June of practice against each other. It's simply unnecessary. You watch more football than anybody I know. What's your response to this? I mean, it's an interesting response, and I get the argument. I think the only thing that, that you want to know if you're a, the NFL or you're going to the CBA is, you know, how does the communication between the team and the players go? Because I think that they're not allowed to speak to or have contact with anybody, you know, for a certain amount of time. And the OTAs and everything else like that are where they have that contact and they have that dialogue to talk about what's going on. So if you're talking about eliminating everything completely and not having any sort of meetup, I get it. That's fine. You know, these players are probably very comfortable in their home situations. You know, family's important. You know, their own personal workout routines. Everything else like that. I understand that. But where is the communication coming from as to what the expectation of your training is or what your playbook is going to be or what you're going to be installing when you do go to training camp. So I think the premise of, of what he's saying, you know, it has some good justification to it. But I, I personally, as a, a coach or a GM, wouldn't want to have a situation where I, you know, January 1st comes around, last game of the season, and we don't talk to our players until June, I mean, until July 26th. You know, I don't know if that's a formula you want to go into, but if there's, you know, some of these maybe like virtual meetings or the opportunity to have that dialogue, or even have it be like an open invitation, like you come if you want to come, you don't come, it's not a big deal. Like, there won't be that perception where you'll be penalized if you don't come, but I think as long as there's communication between the teams and its players, you know, I guess there is a basis for that argument that maybe in-person practices and these OTAs that are only like three or four days long maybe aren't, you know, that constructive. And what's interesting is we're going to transition to talking about college is that I know from having covered Monmouth University football for five years, those coaches swear by spring practice and swear by the ability to get with these guys in practice. And, and yes, it's dangerous. And you've seen some spring football take on different looks in recent years. But I do think it's interesting about that communication factor. Remember during the lockout, there was that whole thing about you could only 
Uh, the only way a, a coach or a, or a GM or an owner could interact with a player was if they were at a wedding, and yet when you were at the wedding, you couldn't talk to them, and you had to stay apart, and you had to show proof that the tables were separate, and everybody looked at that and went, that's ridiculous. There's no way to act. You know, There's no way that a Drew Brees and a Sean Payton aren't going to talk to each other if they show up at a wedding. Like, it just is ridiculous. And I think some of the enforcement of this and teams that would be all over each other and have these unofficial meetups versus the official meetups um, would be a Pandora's box that I'm not sure we want to open. Yeah, and I think that anything that, you know, personally, you know, you're not going to relate business that you work in 9 to 5 every single day to sports. It's just unrealistic. But there's one thing that those meetings, you know, even if they're virtual, which, you know, at this point I think virtual meetings, I don't know how much they're actually accomplishing anymore. Um, but, you know, the point of the OTAs and these mini games for me, you know, from my perspective, is an opportunity to meet people and see people. And, just, like you said, like have that dialogue because there's so many restrictions on, on how you do it in the offseason. And when you have new players coming in, when you have rookies coming in or new coaches, it's important to have that open dialogue with players and coaches and, you know, rookies or whatever it may be just so you understand what you're getting into. If you're able to have that in whatever format you're able to do it in, then I think it's okay if you don't have these quote-unquote organized practices. But if you're not communicating... And I think that that's going to be an issue. And, you know, the one thing he didn't fail, the one thing J.C. Treader failed to mention in his statement was, you know, what their structure was this offseason that allowed them to be successful. He mentioned that the people came in and did well. Yeah, but you also had, you had quote-unquote minicamps and OTAs virtually or meetings virtually prior to all the training camps, et cetera, that allowed you to understand what you were getting yourself into. So I think that that portion of it needs to be in there. And again, if they're not meeting in person, so be it. That's fine. You know, we see NBA basketball players in the summer. They play pickup games. You know, they, they do things to keep themselves in shape and to keep their game strong. You know, there's no reason why basketball players couldn't be doing the same thing in a less structured format. And then when you get to training camp, you pull down and you understand, you know, what the structure of the season is. We're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. All right, now uh, there is a change that it's going to happen immediately uh, tomorrow night for Clemson, and that is that their offensive coordinator cannot travel due to COVID-19 restrictions. And as a result, the quarterback coach is going to be the new guy in Trevor Lawrence's ear in a big game against Ohio State. So as we start to look at these two semifinals, what impact do you think this will have that it's a different voice in Trevor Lawrence's ear? Yeah, I don't know how much of an issue it's going to be, to be honest. I don't know how long the quarterback coach has been there for. Um, he's been there for a while. There's, you know, He's been a part of that system for a while. Yeah, so the thing is, you know, none of the language in the playbook is changing. None of the, I think, situational stuff will be changing. I think that they're going to follow, you know, a, a big part of their game plan. I'm sure the quarterback quote, coach was heavily involved in that, as was Trevor Lawrence. So I think that, you know, from a perspective, uh, it's a lot easier to, to maintain what it is you're going to be doing uh, from a, a, a play-calling perspective. I think the one thing you miss maybe is, you know, what's, what's the pulse of this guy during the game? Is he able to read? 
you know, certain situations, is evil to set up certain defenses, you know, to get once in a situation, you know, that, that might be a little bit of what's going to happen. Um, but overall, I mean, if you still have Trevor Lawrence out there, you still have Travis Etienne out there, your offensive line is intact, your skill players are intact, you still have Brett Venables, I think that would be a bigger loss for them than their offensive coordinator, to be honest. Brett Venables wasn't going to be there. But I think overall, Compton should still be okay. We might see one or two drives where the wrong play call was made, but I don't know if that's going to hinder Clemson's ability to, to outperform Ohio State tomorrow. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a situation where this game could be one of those games where you have a chance to come back. I don't think this is a game where you can be blown out of the building right out of the gate. I, I, I think this could be a back-forth, back-forth offensive game. The over-under on this game is is 66.5, which is looking at you know a 34-31, you know, 37-34 type game. If you get that set up, you can correct it, you know, some kind of problem or, you know, um, issue that pops up early in the game with your playing calling rhythm, if that's the case. So I would think that there is time to recover versus something like like Bama-Notre Dame, where that game looks like it should be a Bama blowout, and if Notre Dame gets behind early, they're going to have a really hard time coming back. Yeah, and the one thing, too, about the college game is so much of the play calling is done at the line of scrimmage. So yeah. I think that, it's, again, you know, will this, this person be able to have a pulse on the game, be able to make the right check in certain situations, set up the defense the right way? But I, I think when you have the player that Clemson has, if he's been there a long time, he probably understands, he's probably part of those checks during the game as well with the offensive coordinator. I think they should be okay. I don't know if it's going to play a big part into what's going to happen tomorrow. It's a storyline, obviously. You know, it might be brought up in the telecast. You know, someone... I'm just like... I think, you know, again, I think as long as you have Trevor Lawrence back there, you're okay. And again, I thought I, I think if it was Brett Venables, we'd be having a different discussion today. Tony Elliott is the offensive coordinator. He is the one that is out after testing positive. Brandon Streeter is the quarterback coach who will be in Trevor Lawrence's ear. All right, now we move back. You look at this game. What's your read on it? Because a lot of people are trying to compare this game to last year's game. I thought Clemson's team last year wasn't as impressive as they probably are this year. Even though they had probably a little more talent, I think this year they're a little more balanced. Um, and Ohio State, on the other side, was way more explosive, I thought, last year offensively than they are this year. And in the secondary, they're a little more depleted than they are last year. So I think Clemson overall has the advantage this year. Last year, I think it was a five-and-a-half-point spread. This year, it's a seven-and-a-half-point spread. Um, so, you know, they're valuing the teams, I think, around the same. Um, I think the interesting thing this year is, you know, Ohio State's ability to um, adjust and make plays offensively um, a lot quicker than they did last year. You know, last year, they, they had some breaks that didn't go their way. But overall, you know, they had some really, really explosive plays from their run game. Their run game isn't as explosive this year. Yes, they did have some guy, I think his name was Thurman uh, last week or two weeks ago in the Big Ten Championship game, ran for like 300 yards. It's all close to it. 
He's not as explosive, though, as, as J.K. Dobbins. You know, they don't have that explosiveness, I think, in the backfield. And Justin Fields this year, you know, again, limited sample size, only six games, has been a little bit more error prone than he was last year. So the thing about Ohio State can keep the game in front of them and not chase. They should be able to hang in there. I just don't know if they're, they, they are as explosive or as deep as they were last year to give up the type of game that we saw last year. So I think Clemson's going to win tomorrow. We are uh, talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Uh, you are a Notre Dame fan. Do you give them any shot? To be honest, no. They're, they need a lot of things to go their way. Um, you know, that, that game against Clemson in the AC championship game was really you know, poorly executed on their end. You know, the score was 31-10, you know, but they early in that game had the opportunity to definitely take the take the lead and really play from in front, and they just weren't able to execute. My concern is Ian Book. You know, he, everyone talks about him and says that he's been, you know, a stable presence back there. He doesn't make mistakes. The thing I see when I watch him play is he rarely hits a receiver on his back foot, you know, meaning that when he's dropping back in the pocket, he hits that back foot, he knows where he's going with the ball, and he lets it rip. A lot of it's improvisation. And I just don't think you can do that against these top-tier defenses. They're too fast, they're too smart, and they're too good up front. So if, if Notre Dame is able to maintain a running game and able to make plays in the passing game on time and on rhythm and then allow for those improvisation plays to be there, the play actions, the bootlegs, et cetera, they might be able to catch Alabama you know, on their back foot a little bit. But I think you know, the, the issue big time is going to be defensively. Can Notre Dame hang with them? Will Alabama make mistakes? Will they throw any interceptions? Will they, you know, have any turnovers? And I just don't see that happening. So I think Notre Dame is going to have to play a perfect game, and you're going to have to see Alabama play a game that we haven't seen them play this year, which is mistake, mistake riddled. And I just don't think that you're going to get that from an Alabama team. Do you give any more of a shot um, to... Notre Dame, considering that this game is is being played in 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 Dallas and not at the Rose Bowl itself, do you think that helps or hurts anybody? I think we'll see a better environment, obviously, because there'll be some fans there. Um, and I think you know it's going to be you know no weather is going to impact the game at all. But I don't think it's an advantage to any team. I just think in these in these types of situations, it's going to be, you know, who's the better team? And I think Alabama is the better team, and I think that's really what's going to show up tomorrow. Um, so you think we're headed towards Bama-Clemson in the national yeah. title game. What does Ohio State have to do to change that formula? Because I'm with you that I don't think Notre Dame stands a shot. Alabama's too loaded and there's too much of a system, and Notre Dame didn't play their best down the stretch, especially in the ACC championship game. But I, I, I wonder if there's enough tape on this 2020 Ohio State team for Clemson to have looked at, or if there's a chance that Ohio State could throw in a wrinkle or two that Clemson may not be expecting. What does Ohio State have to do to win this game? I think they have to play really well defensively and get stopped. I think, you know, you mentioned the over-under is around 66 points, so you're expecting a high-scoring game. One thing they were able to do last year was really frustrate Clemson defensively and get pressure on Lawrence in that game. You know, he took some vicious shots in that game, 
Chase Young was all over the field. There was a fumble that was overturned that Ohio State returned for, you know, a touchdown. So Ohio State last year really took it to them defensively. And if they can do that again this year and really take it to them and limit Etienne in the run game and really force Trevor Lawrence to stay in the pocket, I think that they could have a shot here. And I think how we saw that game last year flip was on a big Trevor Lawrence TD run. And once Trevor Lawrence got outside the pocket, um, you know, that game started to turn a bit. And, you know, he had, I think, over 100 rushing yards last year in that game. And we saw, too, even in the Notre Dame game this year, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Clemson was off to kind of a slow start. He threw an interception on his first possession, and then they went to the QB run game. And I think that's what gave Notre Dame an advantage in the first match against Clemson is that they didn't have to worry about that that much. And the second game, you know, they probably did, did you know, bake it into their game plan. But, you know, seeing it for the first time obviously gives you, you know, some adjustments you have to make. So I think if Ohio State can limit the run aspect of the Clemson offense, and force Trevor Lawrence to drop back and not be able to utilize play action, which means that they would be having a lead, they might be able to, you know, hold up against them. But, again, I just don't think Ohio State's strong enough in the secondary to play that type of game. So they got to really get a good game from their front seven and put that pressure on, on Lawrence, ETN, and really make them one-dimensional. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. All right, now it's time to talk about the National Football League and the most important game of the weekend and of the season, the season is Jets-Patriots. <laughs> In what sense? <laughs> None. I just wanted to see if I would get a laugh out of you. Because sometimes you hear me hype the Jets jokingly and, and you uh, just kind of like, uh-oh, here he goes. But that time you laughed. Good. Because um, <laughs> there is no reason to watch this game. None. <laughs> In fact, it's going to very little percent of the nation. The only uh, game that's going to a, a, a lower percentage of the nation is the Raiders-Broncos game. So, um, yeah, nothing like two um, teams that are completely out of it. Um, as you look at your Giants facing the Cowboys, um, <laughs> somehow they're still in this thing. Somehow you need a hope that Philly can get their act together. Somehow you need a hope that the Cowboys, with what looked like a rejuvenated team last week, with with uh, some pieces back, can can falter. You got to hope for a lot of things to go right on Sunday. What chance do you give your Giants? I I honestly think it's a fifty-fifty shot for them. You know, just because of the way the Cowboys have been able to to play lately might be a little misleading compared to, you know, what their their stats. And, again, every Sunday is going to be different. You know, you look at the Cowboys against the 49ers. Early in that game, they forced two fumbles and an interception. That gave them a short field. They were outgained by the 49ers, um, and the 49ers just didn't execute in that game. And last week they were down 14 nothing, and Philadelphia just stalled. Um, and I, I don't know why. I watched some of that game, not all of it. Um, but I know a big reason why was there was one cornerback on that field that allowed almost 200 yards receiving. I, I don't see that happening this week against the Giants. You know, they, they've had some tough games lately. You know, they've been a little bit depleted. You know, Daniel Jones hasn't been sharp. But I don't think that the Cowboys offensively are going to see that type of opportunity that they saw against Philadelphia. I think that they're going to play 
you know, very basic defense. They're going to get behind the ball. They're not going to allow people to beat them over the top. Um, you know, they're going to do their best to get pressure on Andy Dalton and hope he makes a mistake. And then from the offensive side, if you're the Giants, you have to limit turnovers, which they've, they've done lately. You know, they haven't really been, you know, turning the ball over as much as they did early in the year. But you have to hope that Daniel Jones can make some big plays in the passing game and they can get their run game going. And I think this is going to be a close game. Um, I don't see Dallas running away with it, and I don't see the Giants blowing them out, you know, because they haven't blown out anybody this year. But I think it's going to be a close game, and I think with two teams fighting for a playoff spot, knowing that, you know, as long as they win, they have a shot, you're going to see a really tough, competitive game. Um, and I think it's a coin flip. I think it can go either way. As a Giants fan, you know, you want to beat the Cowboys. You haven't beaten them, I think, in seven straight games. You lost a heartbreaker to them in Dallas earlier this year that, that you should have won. Um, so I think it's going to be a close game. And I, I think I give the advantage just to the Giants just because I think that they're, you know, after losing three straight, you know, you, you tend to think that people, that a team is going to fight at the last game of the season, again, with a shot to go into the playoffs. So we'll see. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a runaway for either team. And it's going to be close. And, you know, whoever wins, I could pray that Philadelphia shows some sort of life in the last game of the season on Sunday night. Yeah. Which is a, a a big hope. It's it's a big hope and a prayer. Who wins out of um, is this Arizona's playoff spot to lose against the Rams with Golf being out and uh, and uh, Cooper Cup being out? One would think, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't trust Arizona. I don't trust their coaching staff. I don't trust their execution. You know, I watched that game on Saturday, and their execution was terrible. Um, the Rams defensively are 100% healthy. So there's no reason why that defense can't win that game for them. Um, and then you hope that maybe you get caught back for the first round of the playoffs. Um, but, you know, either team I think is going to be listening in there. Um, and, and don't forget, I think if uh, the Cardinals win and Chicago win, they're not in either. So they still need some help there, too. So... I, I just don't trust the Cardinals, to be honest. I, I, every time I think they're turning a corner, um, you know, they seem to regret. They, they have a tough time in their division, you know, not winning those games that they, they should potentially be winning. You know, they should have won last week, and they let a guy run for 200-plus yards on them. So I just don't know if I trust the Cardinals to execute enough to, to win and get into the playoffs. Uh, Arizona clinches a win, uh, clinches a berth with either a win or a tie in a Chicago loss. Chicago gets in with a win or a Cardinals loss or a Chicago tie and Arizona tie. The Rams get in with a win or tie or a Chicago loss or tie. Don't you love those ties? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, <laughs> scenario that's going to play out. Right? Yeah, especially with 10-minute There are a lot of moving pieces this weekend. Um, yes, especially with 10-minute overtime, you know, makes ties that much more likely, um, which is, you know, part of that. Of, of all these teams in the AFC, um, and I forgot where I was going when it came to... Uh, the NFC, but I, I think you summarized it, it well there. When you look at the AFC, which which team's going to be the odd one out? It's tough. 
Um, my initial thought going into the week was Cleveland, just because I thought Pittsburgh might try to get that number two seed and, you know, hope that Buffalo loses to Miami. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Um, Especially I, I think at the end of the band. day, yeah. uh, I think it's going to be Miami. Um, if Buffalo plays their starters and they play tough, I think Miami is going to be that, that odd team out, I, you know, I think they just have been struggling with what they're doing at the quarterback position. They're torn between Fitzpatrick and Tua. You know, Fitzpatrick gives you the best chance to win, I think, right now, but Tua is is your future. So I think Miami might be that odd team out that doesn't get in there. And, again, that could all depend on, you know, how Buffalo approaches this game. If it's not Miami, then it's going to probably be Indy, I think, because if Cleveland wins, they hold a tiebreaker, and they're going to be able to get in there over Indy. Yeah, Indy's the one team in the AFC that does not control their own destiny, um, which you know plays into this big time. When when you look at right now the way both conferences are, um, you you said a couple weeks ago that you weren't so sure uh, that that Kansas City's the surefire best team. You think it, you know you know uh, Buffalo could give them a run for their money in the AFC? A, do you still feel that way, and who do you see coming out of the NFC if the, if if they said okay, we're going, you know, just to conference championship right now? Um, obviously, it would be uh, Chiefs, Bills, and uh, Packers, Saints. But who do you see eventually ending up in these two championship games? Yeah, I still think Buffalo is probably the best bet out of the AFC um, to challenge Kansas City. You know, Pittsburgh. Is there, you know, if Indy had won that game last week, I'd say that they'd be riding a lot of momentum going into the playoffs. Um, but after seeing Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger, I'm just not sure I trust either of those quarterbacks um, right now. And I think uh, Pittsburgh's a little bit broken. Even though they won that game, um, they're still not executing, I think, offensively enough to challenge a Kansas City team. And you're seeing Buffalo being able to do that. So I think Buffalo still remains the best option from the AFC to challenge Kansas City. And I think in the NFC, it's a toss-up. I think between Tampa, Green Bay, and New Orleans, like those are three really good teams. I think it all just comes down to matchups. Um, I, I think Tampa against Green Bay is a good matchup for Tampa Bay. Um, but I think the Saints you know, versus Tampa, I take the Saints. And if I, you know, Green Bay is at home against the Saints, I probably take Green Bay, so I really think it depends on you know who's playing who. But I think right now, when you're just looking at it from top to bottom, the best team in the NFC right now is Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is playing mistake-free football. They're running the ball. Devontae Adams catches everything every week, and even though they know the ball is going to him. Um, and their defense seems to be playing a little bit better than we have seen in the past. So I think right now, Green Bay is the odds-on favorite from the NFC, but. I can really see any of those three teams making it, but I'll put my money on Green Bay right now. That is Danny Flecka joins us weekly here on Teeing It Up. Any uh, last words for 2020? Uh, uh, good riddance. Uh, used to hoping that 2021 is better. Amen to that. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year everybody out there. We will see you next time on Teeing It Up.